The nail in the coffin! Welcome to a New Year's edition of The Nail in the Coffin. I'm Tom Valentino. He is Travis Uly. Travis saw a tweet from you over the weekend. The timestamp would put it uh, somewhere around the range of the second quarter of the Browns game on Sunday. I quote, football season is ending right when I need it to. I can't do this shit one more weekend. Stand Welcome to the podcast, it. my friend. Uh, Stand by that position. Nothing has changed in the last, well, plenty has changed in the last four days. That is not one of the things. <laughs> Dear God, what, what a weekend. <laughs> what a weekend is right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously the Brown season has been very up and down, but um, I think I think with the way Saturday went, I was pretty much, I was pretty reserved to that no matter what happened on Sunday. What uh, where, where do you want to start with the Buckeyes or the Browns? Um, let's start with the Browns because I think, um, I think they got a little more to actually talk about at the moment. Okay, plenty, plenty to talk about. So our boy Freddie, not long for Cleveland. Um, he gone as as we're known to say. <laughs> um, it's funny because it seems like it was. It seems like throughout this season, this has already felt, even early on in the season, it sort of felt like this was a foregone illusion. Like he was in over his head and he was, you know, not really qualified to be a head coach. And they brought him in and they liked some of the things he did last year. So they put him in a position that maybe he wasn't ready for. Um, and even as we said it time and time again, this guy doesn't know how to be, know how to be a head coach. It still feels like there might be a little bit of surprise there, um, but a lot of that, in my opinion, is probably tied more to frustration that we're on our what fifth coach in like seven years or whatever the hell it is. I don't know. No. Um, did it surprise you at all that he was let go? Yeah, no, not at all. Um, I, I will say this: the first inkling that I had that like, uh oh, we, we might have a problem here. You could go all the way back to the preseason when they had that joint practice with the Colts and the quotes coming out of there made it seem like they're more interested in winning a fight than playing well. And I'm like, that's not a good sign. And you just, you see things over and over and over again during the year. And it just was like, what, what, like, are we learning here? Like, you know, he had a quote in the last couple of weeks about how he's learning from his mistakes. And I'm just sitting back reading this and I'm like, no, you haven't. Like uh, there was the gross mismanagement of the time and uh, you know timeout situation and everything with that game against Seattle back in October, and then you basically had a rerun of that only worse against the Ravens late in the year, and there were just so many in-game decisions. I mean, it goes back to when he was hired last January. You and I were talking about this, and you know we said obviously he's done some really creative things with the play calling and, you know, the offense has looked awesome in the second half of last season, you know, but the, the concern is, can he handle all of the other aspects of the job 
that go into being a head coach, managing your timeouts, knowing when to challenge plays, knowing down and distance situations and, and other, you know, big picture strategic items. And I think it became very clear very early on that what the answer to that was. And then you start hearing some of these other things that have come out afterwards. Uh, Jason Lloyd of the athletic uh, let it, let it out that uh, he had tried to reach Bill Parcells. I didn't even realize that Freddie Kitchen's coaching career goes back to being an assistant under Parcells. Uh, but, you know, Parcells, I guess, uh, for those who haven't heard this or read this, um, he, uh, you know, had, had Freddie Kitchens on his staff years ago. Um, that's where he got his start, I guess. And Parcells is this guy is normally very accessible to the media. And back in August, Lloyd reached out to him. He's still a, you know, hey, what do you think Freddie Kitchens getting his first head coaching job in the NFL? And Parcells just politely declined. And it was just one of those things that was like really weird. Like, why wouldn't you just throw out some empty platitudes? And it's like, did they have a falling out? Or do you know something that we don't? Well, uh, yeah, here we are. So um, there was that. And then, you know, I think some of the quotes from uh, Jarvis Landry talking about how we just need leadership and how we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't have a plan. It's uh, just all around not great. So one of the things I'll say, it was a, it was a huge criticism early, and I don't know that people really looked at it for the rest of the season. Um, obviously, for the through the first like three or four games, we had a ton of penalties and a ton of yards, and I honestly thought that it got a lot better, especially in the second half of the season. It did. Um, and, and and that is a, that is a and I'm not going to dwell too much on what. Freddie might have done right because there's a much longer list of things he did wrong, right? But we we seem to every week I heard like, oh, there's all these penalties. They never learned from it. Well, it seemed like they kind of did. They did get a lot better at it later in the season. It was a thing that they improved on. Um, there's obviously the game management type things that um, that, in my opinion, they come with experience, like knowing you know how to manage timeouts and manage a game and things like that expecting him to come in perfect at those things already um, was probably not a great, ex- not a fair expectation. Um, the penalties got better throughout the year. Did the game management and play calling and, and things of that nature get better throughout the year? Cause I don't think that did. Um, up and up sort of up and down. I think like one game we'd look at it and be like, okay, it seemed like they did a lot better this game, like the Steelers game. That the first the the one that they won, it seemed like that game they came out and looked a lot better than they did, you know, against the Steelers, um, or not against the Steelers, but against you know the uh, the Bills the week before, which they had won, but they didn't look particularly great on offense. Against Denver, the offense didn't look great. Against Pittsburgh, the the offense looked really competent. And then they blew the doors off of Miami the week after that. Say right. what you want about Miami, they finished the season looking pretty damn competent. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's there's things in there where you can say, yeah, okay, they took a couple steps forward. And then the following week, they took another step back, right? So it, was, it wasn't it was sustained improvement. I think there were things you could look at and say they improved at this week over week, or they were better at this at the end of the year than they were at the beginning. The problem is that this roster is built to be good right now. And um, I think they went in expecting, like, you know, I think they went after Freddie, hoping that he would be like a Kyle Shanahan, McVeigh type of guy where he's young, not necessarily proven, but
but really, I don't know, really innovative and would have all these creative things and be able to do it despite the lack of experience. And he's just, he just wasn't that guy. No. Um, this roster is built to be good now. So you can't really have a guy that's going to take two or three years to learn how to be a head coach. That I think right is what there, it came down to. That, that is hitting the nail on the head. That, that I think that was the biggest issue was the, the timeline for the Browns. Once they had the off season that they did last spring, bringing in Odell Beckham, uh, Vernon, and some of those other guys, it, it accelerated the timeline. And, you know, I, I, I think uh, I can't remember who it was. Somebody had made a, a parallel between Freddie Kitchens and David Blatt and how they were hired for one job. And then what that job became after they were hired became a different deal. Uh, I, think I don't know if I, I don't know if I like, I don't know if I agree with that comparison. Okay. Um, they added OBJ, but they were, they were very much even before the off season trades with what happened with the season that Baker had last year. I think they were still very much expected to, to take a pretty big step forward. It was a more dramatic, year, even before the trades. It was a I more dramatic I, I change for the Cavs, yeah. obviously adding LeBron. Right. The Cavs, the Cavs went from a rebuilding process with very few good pieces in place to an immediate finals contender. Right. So that's, right. and obviously I think coaching in the NFL is much more important than it is in the NBA. And adding a player or two in the NBA is immensely more important than it is in the NFL. So yeah, I, mean, I just think in general, the, the demands of the job, yeah, the demands of the jobs are just different in general. So, um, but yeah, that's probably, it's probably a, a relatively fair comparison, I guess. Now that when you put it that way. Okay. You know, the other thing I'm going to take away from this year is like Sunday night, we get the word that, you know, he's going to be a one and done and the Browns are going in a different direction or, you know, whatever the boilerplate was that uh, they've probably perfected over there in Berea over the years with all these uh, coaching changes. Everybody, it seemed like the consensus that I read from everybody is like, oh, he's such a good guy. He's such a likable guy. And this guy, it's just such a shame that it didn't work out, but it probably had to be done. All that might be true. At the same time, it was startling to me how quickly this team became unlikable and hard to root for this year. I, I, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I honestly think a lot of it came with, um, I think I hate to say it. It all kind of started week one. Like they got their right. doors blown off against Tennessee and they came in and, and say what you want about Tennessee. They're an okay team, right? They're not, not bad. Um, they're the not 30 points team. better than the Browns. Yeah. They're a decent team. Um, but coming into the season, the expectations were so different between the Browns and the Titans. Um, Definitely. Fast forward four or five weeks. We see what the 49ers are now. Beginning of the season, the game against the 49ers looked like the one that the Browns should win. That right. looked like it should be a win for the Browns. So early on, losing those games that you know you're expected to win, we, we kind of saw what we were worried about with the OBJ trade early on in the season. Like, if things don't go great, he can be kind of... He can be kind of a headache i honestly think his his this this headache thing was a little overblown i think in general i thought he was a pretty damn good teammate this year um uh, for all intents and purposes i don't i don't care that like everyone always he wore these shoes that brought attention to him and he wore this visor and a watch and all this other shit like other guys do that stuff they just don't no one talks about it um so it's like, yes, 
he had a couple like uniform violations. Guys have uniform violations every week across the league, all over the place. There's supposed to be a guy that's there every week and checks the uniforms to make sure. I can't ever recall a game where a player had a uniform violation and an official came up to him and said, you can't get back on the field until you change this. That was what, the Jets game? That was, um, well, one of them was the visor and one was the shoes. I yeah. can't remember which one was the shoes. The shoes I don't were think later it, in the year. Yeah, that was the one where they said at halftime, you can't come back out and play if you don't change your shoes. That shit, the though, that, come- that, all of that, I, I get what you're saying, but it's just exhausting. And, and I, I have very complicated feelings about what we got out of Odell Beckham this year. Because, like, on the one hand, I got tired of, like, trying to rationalize that stuff. It's, you know, it, maybe other guys do that stuff, but it just felt like over and over and over again. It's like, can we just go, like, a few weeks without having some sort of sideshow? Can we just, like, get through a game w- without that? And it well, just, after, it, after the shoe, after the shoes thing, what ha- what else? The come get me stuff. Like, I just, I'm like, why? Okay, that, okay. That's, okay let's be fair. That's not him. That's people reporting that he said it. That's that's not Are him doing anything. That out of thin air? I, I, I don't just, know. There's no, but there's no public record of it. Like it's somebody, not like he it's he not like he up. it's not like he's putting it out there or you know doing it publicly. I that's thought not, one of those I don't put that on up, him. But I, I just it the whole thing it just got annoying. It's it just it was just symptomatic of the entire season. And but the flip side of that is like you get to the Arizona game where you know your your season's hanging by a thread and at this point the game was pretty much out of reach and he's still downfield like throwing huge blocks to free up his teammates now i would have rather seen him getting the ball and his no name wide receiver teammates being the ones setting on the blocks. amazing blocks to free him up <laughs> right right but you know, hey, it's he's still playing his ass off. I mean, there's the you know the game we saw on Sunday. I mean, he had that amazing catch in the back corner of the end zone for their last touchdown. I mean, he's still making plays. He's still playing hard. So it's like you, I, I don't know. I guess that's just the full OBJ experience. Is you're going to get the amazing plays on the field, and you're also going to get the stuff that makes you just kind of like you know roll your head, roll your eyes a little bit. But and the the, the other thing I'll say about it is. All of the stuff that he does, yes, we talk about it. It's in the media. They bring it up and they ask questions about it. I, from what I can tell, both from his time in New York when he got traded here and now, he's a great teammate in the locker room. Everybody on the team likes him. No one seems to have a problem with how he goes about his business. He got flagged for that ridiculous penalty last week. Was it last week or two weeks ago? For the the Ravens game. Yeah, yeah. Again, that was like stupid and unnecessary. I get it, you know. And here's my other thing. But you can't, but you, really quick, you can't, like, that's a thing that I see all of the wide receivers do. Clearly, it's like a thing they have between them. Not when they're standing in the middle of the other team's bench. I mean, I I don't know that that's the case for sure. I I can't say that I would go back and look. I, I don't know that we have any examples to refer back to. But every time they make a big catch, they do that thing like all of them do. It's sort of a thing that they have. It's the equivalent of, you know, one of the ridiculous handshakes that all the NBA guys have. Um, it's just the thing that they do. It's, it's kind of a, a locker room, wide receiver room, buddy, buddy thing. It's not a 
an attention thing. It's not look at me. It's not, it's none of those things. And I think everyone can look at that penalty and say that was a stupid penalty to call. I don't, I, maybe, uh, do you agree? Think, do you think I that's think a fair penalty that, to be blown? I do think the fact that he was in the opponent's sideline surrounded by opposing players, I think officials are trained to be a lot more, have a heightened sense of awareness to avoid having something break out in a situation like that. But again, we're splitting. I mean, we see, we this. see guys, we see guys right next to the sideline jump up and spin the ball and do the first down thing all the time, and no one yeah. calls anything. So, right, I, I I I see very little defense of that flag, um, and I have no problem with what he did in that case. Um, and outside of that, yeah, most of most of all of our complaints about him are. He's not making plays. He's not getting the ball. Right. How much of that are we really putting on him at this point? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not for lack of effort. We see right. that it's not for lack of effort. Yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with him in the off season. I, 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 I kind of wonder. You know, I wonder when the decision to move on from Dorsey or. Uh, <laughs> Spoiler alert: We might get to that in a few minutes. Uh, yeah. Freddie Kitchens, uh, the decision to to move on from him was made because I thought it was kind of interesting that Odell had like all of these like vague comments when he was asked about like the "come get me" stuff, and oh, I don't want to talk about that. I'm I'm not going to talk about that until the off season. Blah blah blah. And then all of a sudden, I think it was like right around that Arizona game, he came out with like this really. Uh, demonstrative statement, you know, like I that was like really uh, shooting that down decisively, and it was just kind of weird that that came out of nowhere. I felt like it was like, why did you choose to do that now? And conspiracy theorist me wondered if it was like somebody pulled him aside and was like, "Look, we know you're frustrated here. We're frustrated, and you and I and the four walls around us right now know like why we're all frustrated." Just take it easy. Let's get through these last three games and we'll fix the problem as soon as the season's over. Okay. And I don't know. Maybe that was it. Maybe I'm just theorizing here, but um, I, I'll be honest. I think, I think part of it is he wasn't here last year. And even though, you know, last year they only won seven games, it wasn't like it was a, you know, Super Bowl season. I have a feeling. Jarvis had a lot of fun last year and he saw how fun it can be when things are going relatively well. And so he goes to his buddy and he says, listen, it's not going great right now. I'm telling you, they'll make changes like it. This is, this is as bad as it can get or something along those lines. Right. And, and Odell's been in bad situations before he's been with teams that were terrible and had no, I mean, the last couple giants teams have had no future, right? They're right. They've been a dead end. Um, and the Browns are a very different situation than that, or maybe not now, but they were, you know, used to what he was used to. So my hunch is, yeah, probably Jarvis, who's by all accounts, and it might be a little overblown, his best friend, inside or outside of football, probably just sat him down. And by all accounts, Jarvis is a hell of a leader in the locker room too. He's just like, okay, I'll, I'll give it, I'll, I'll give it a little more patience and a little more benefit of the doubt than I normally would um, because I'm my buddy here and he, you know, he's steering me in that direction. We'll it's just a hunch sure. on me. I don't know. Who knows? Exactly. But yeah. um, I don't know. It's, 
it's a weird thing um, to look at now. I think it's <laughs> it's it's honestly sort of naive and ridiculous to look back at how optimistic we were to think that you could just plug this Freddie kitchens guy in and, and all the talent on the field would, would do the work. Right. Um, someone else is going to be putting the talent on the field from now on though. And that's, that's another interesting thing. So I'll, I'll move right into that. Okay. Um, we're finding out now on Twitter that in all as likelihood, we're recording it, this. as we're recording, this is, this is coming on Twitter from Schefter and, some of the other NFL insider guys. So by the time people listen to this tomorrow, it is entirely possible that this didn't pan out to be what it is, but it sounds like by all accounts, John Dorsey will be done as GM of the Browns in the not too distant future. Um, thought for your thoughts. Well, yeah, I was going to say as of 33 seconds ago, Schefter tweeted, John Dorsey is out as the Browns GM. Okay. So two sides couldn't come to an agreement on a future restructure of the organization. Yeah, it probably wasn't a good sign when he was supposed to speak with the media today, and then that was postponed until Thursday because uh, it was allegedly for uh, conflicting with head coach interviews. A lot of people seem to think that was raising uh, some uh, red flags. I guess they were right. Um, There's also there were also big like reports yesterday as the, the discussions around the head coaching search came out um, rumors that I've, I don't know that I've ever heard associated with a head head coaching search before um, anywhere at any level that, that the head coach that they identified and wanted would get to decide if Dorsey stayed on or not as GM. I, there are other teams that have had arrangements. I mean, I think even one of their many incarnations, the Browns had an arrangement like that with Eric Mangini, right? I mean, he basically installed Coquinas, didn't he? And and then that very did they, quickly... Uh, did they have existing GMs in place that they then... I, I've seen ones where, yeah, the, the head coach comes in and he gets to have personnel control. Typically, right. the GM's already out at that point. They're right. not bringing him and asking him, hey, do you want to let this guy keep his job or not? Yeah, there, <laughs> I wish I remember who had this, but somebody was saying last night, they're like, how exactly does this work in an interview? Is, is Haslam like sitting next to Dorsey uh, <laughs> holds across up a the folder. table? Holds up a manila folder. Hey, what do you think of this guy? And yeah. nodding over. <laughs> like, and truthfully, saying, like it's, it's, an, a, it's an absurd visual. But with how these things are reported now, that's kind of what it would be. Like, I mean, literally, I, I can totally, is I can totally see John Dorsey being like, you know what, fuck that, I'm out of here, I don't right. need this. Um, so it's like because you know, then if he leaves, it's because the other coach didn't want him, not because it's his choice. Yeah. So now he is he's taking control and saying, you know what, I'm gonna do it, I'm out of here, I don't need this, um, and I can't say I blame him at that point. Here's the question I'll throw to you now. If you are, I said this the other day, I said it Sunday night, right when it happened. If you are a young up and coming, I I hate throwing the same two names out all the time, but they're sort of this, you know, the face for this type of coach right now, McVay and, and Shanahan. If you're one of those type of guys who's young, up and coming, innovative guy who's in demand, do you want to attach your career trajectory to the Cleveland Browns at Jimmy Haslam? Well, I think Matt Rule from Baylor pretty clearly and decisively no. answered that question today. Uh, you know what? Good. I I don't I don't get the I don't get this sudden love affair with Matt Rule, but 
Um, on the other side of things, too, if you're a well-established guy who's had success in the league, like a Ron Rivera or someone like that, do you want to deal with the headache that is Jimmy Haslam? You've already made a bunch of money, right? You've right. You you can you can wait a year and you can probably get a job next year. If you don't, if this is your only opportunity, you can get another one next year. You can go do what Petten did, take a, a coordinator job for a couple of years and see if you pop back up. Do you want this to be your next job? I was. Gonna I don't say, know why I, you would. I I get the rationale that there's only 32 NFL coaching head coaching positions, and you know if there's one six of them, or seven if, of them every year available, so. Right. But the, the thing I was going to say is like the flip side of that coin is how many guys after they've been fired from one head coaching position end up getting another head coaching position. Right. I mean, especially yeah. if you're looking at like guys who have gotten turfed from the Browns. I mean, Pat Shermer and <laughs> congrats to the Giants because that worked out exactly as well for them as it did for the Browns. They had the exact same record over their two years with them as we did. Um, I guess Romeo got a stint with the Chiefs after here, but um, you know, it, it, yeah, I, I'm. I don't blame anybody, especially if they've got other teams interested in them. If you're looking at the Browns and the instability that they've had here, I, I I'm not hitching my wagon to that. I don't. If I've got other options, because you don't know when you're going to get a second chance, and you're probably going to need one at some point. If you're you're not going to get a third, you're usually right. not going to get a third. So it, it none of it makes sense. Um, and as much as we, you know, we we kill Freddie at times. I don't know. I think Dorsey kind of got. I'm not going to say let off the hook because I thought he did a pretty good job putting a roster together. Um, those are the guys we focus on because they're the guys that can get fired. If we're all being honest here, the one that needs to be fired is Jimmy Haslam, but unfortunately that's not in the cards, right? right. Um, he just doesn't know how to run a franchise. Um, the Browns have, even when the Browns have, the Browns haven't had a lot of talent in our lifetime. Right now they have a lot of talent and they are still an absolute mess of a franchise. We always, you know, for the last 20 years, we've always said once they get a good roster, they get these pieces in place, you know, then the other stuff will figure itself out, blah, 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 blah. No, they just don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to hire people. They don't know how to interview and vet people. They just don't know what they're doing. That was, I mean, you could go back and say the NFL doesn't know how to vet people. If they did, Jimmy Haslam wouldn't have been able to buy the Browns. Um, That's a story for another day. But I, the, the one thing that's a really bitter pill to swallow here was that I think one of the things that Jimmy Haslam's always been accused of is constantly meddling in things. And this was like the one time in a coaching hire that he really stepped back and let his GM pick his coach. And it could not have gone worse this year. So, like, I, I don't know where you go from here with that. You would like to believe that. You know, it's like who's running their football operations now? Yeah, I, I, I mean, it sounds like there's been, um, there's been a lot of talk of Deep Podesta like increasing his role. Um, does okay, he, like, does whatever. he live here? He still doesn't live here, does he? I don't believe so. I think he's in. I think he's still in California. It's funny. I saw someone. So I saw. I saw someone on Twitter the other day say, um. I, b- I believe the, I don't know if this is the exact phrasing, but I know the term was in the room. And he said, 
Um, I trust Paul D. Podesta. He's the smartest guy in the room. Well, he's not in the fucking room. He's across the country. Um, so, so I don't know what you're talking about. Um, he, he's, he's the guy on the conference call. Um, working, you know, I don't know how, I don't, I don't want to say he doesn't work. I don't know what the guy does, but I don't, I, I will always have a hard time. And this is a guy who I, you will not, you will find nobody who sings the praises of the work from home life more than I do. Um, <laughs> I think there's certain guys who need to put in FaceTime. Um, and by all accounts, he doesn't. And you're so, not talking about Apple FaceTime here. Just to be exactly, clear. exactly. Um, every once in a while, you got to come and be physically in the room. Um, and by all accounts, he, he's he's not there, especially with an organization that, by and large, is all very geographically close. Right? It's not like this is a software company that's spread out all over the country. It's Cleveland Browns. If you're going to work for the Browns, you got to be in Cleveland a little bit. Um. Yeah. So I don't know how often he was coming into town. It's just a very weird exactly, arrangement. All exactly. It's just it just doesn't make sense. And there's no like there's no real transparency. So for all I know, he's coming in all the time. Maybe he is. I don't know. Um, but that's part of I think that's just adds to the confusion of it that no one knows what anyone's doing. We knew what Dorsey was doing. Um, he was he was very much filling that traditional GM role. Um which for a while we didn't really seem to have, right? Sashi Brown was doing that, but he wasn't really doing it. He was he was clearly in a different type of role. Like he was trying to build as many assets and whatnot and all that. But let me ask you, what do you make of John Dorsey's tenure here if this is it? Um, can't tell now. Like there's no way of knowing. You gotta ask me in five years. If 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 the core of this roster stays together and they go on to be you know, pretty damn successful and, you know, make a few playoff runs. I'm not going to get insane and jump to t- Super Bowls and stuff like that. But if they're winning, you know, 10, 11 games two years from now, you have to say it's a success. You, you'd look at it similar than the, as you would look to Kansas City. Say what you want about Kansas City. He, he went out sort of in a not great way. Um, but he clearly gets a lot of credit for the roster they have and the team that they have right now. Um, so I think that's, that's best case scenario, obviously. Um, I think the biggest thing, uh, go ahead, finish your thought. No, I just say, I I don't, you can't really evaluate him now. You can, you can look at it now and say he's been a failure. Obviously the record says that the record dictates that, but if Baker turns out to be the best quarterback from that draft, Lamar notwithstanding, um, OBJ, has 1600 yards next year they win 10 11 games then yeah he looks like he knew what he was doing he put a solid roster in place you just can't say right now who knows yeah i mean it's an incomplete yeah the the thing for me is there's some you know obvious pros for him I, i think being able to land odell beckham regardless of you know some of the stuff that's exhausting with him he's clearly got talent he, he's clearly he, he plays hard you know um bringing in nick chubb i think that obviously was a, a huge uh positive for him he was i would say with a great deal of confidence our best player this year um yeah okay oh, yeah. did did landry predate him or did he bring in jarvis landry um landry was pre-draft Landry was a couple 
I want to say like very shortly before the draft, maybe a month or two before the draft that they took Chubb in. Um, okay. Landry was Chubb actually the say what you want about John Dorsey. This is going to be sort of the um, one thing he will never get enough credit for. They were mocked pretty heavily with the um, Brock Osweiler trade. That Brock Osweiler trade is how they got Nick Chubb. So right. we all laughed at, oh, they're just paying, they're buying a draft pick for this much money. Oh, the idiots over in Cleveland. There's a lot of teams that would pay that, whatever that salary was that they had to pay to Osweiler, would pay that to have Nick Chubb. <laughs> it's true. I, I mean, the the negatives, obviously, you know, the Austin Corbett pick, uh, that turned into a disaster. Uh, Cybert, the kicker, I know his actual field goal kicking percentage, I think, was fairly decent this year. But what, did he missed five extra points, six extra points. You can't do that if you're a kicker who was drafted, um, you know. That just I like that happen. we don't even need to qualify which round, right? If you were an, uh, if you were a kicker that was drafted, period, period, <laughs> it doesn't yeah, matter where you were drafted. Kickers who are undrafted free agents that if right. you're, and I think he was like a fifth round pick. So no, that can't happen. Um, and and you know with how things unfolded with uh, Freddie Kitchens, I mean that was a Dorsey call. Um, ultimately, though, I, I think we're going to look back on this, and, and you know you're talking like a few years down the road. What are your feelings on Baker Mayfield? Uh, I don't want to say it because I want to stay optimistic, but I'm not. I'm Ooh. not. The things I was concerned about with him coming out of the draft, he avoided them last year. They reared their ugly heads this year. I think my fear is that it's because teams figured it out. I said before the draft, the way that he played in college, where he spent a lot of his time, you know, sort of flushed out of the pocket, um, improvising plays on the run, using his feet a lot. That stuff doesn't work in the NFL, in my opinion, for the most part. He's not Lamar Jackson with his feet, so that's not a fair comparison. I know there are guys that use it. He's not one of those guys that has like elite athleticism to overcome that stuff. Um, I said he was probably too short, and everyone made fun of that. Coming from me, if I say you're too short, <laughs> I'll, I'll be the first guy to stand up for short guys, right? I think they can do anything. I don't, I think the problems he has, like everyone says, oh yeah, Drew Brees and Russell Wilson do these things. Drew Brees and Russell Wilson have uh, changed their mechanics to accommodate for it. Baker, I think there's too many times this year where no one says it when it happens, it seems like, on the broadcast or anywhere else. He can't see over the line. He can't throw over the line at times. I don't think he's built to be a pocket passer, and I don't think he's athletic enough to be a guy that gets flushed out of the pocket and consistently makes stuff happen like a Russell Wilson type. I just don't think he's that guy. Um, last year this time, I was saying the exact opposite. Um, I think the tape's out on him a little bit, and they've real teams have figured out pretty easily how they can force him into situations where his weaknesses can be exposed. And they did it all too often this year. Okay. That's a compelling case. I will offer the counter. The fact that he did show that he was able to do these things last year when he was in a better, healthier environment uh, team wise gives me hope that with a proper system in place, uh, you can get back to that. 
Um, I, I think a lot of what was a problem for him this year, I mean, how many times did we see the Browns, you know, having to burn timeouts because they didn't have guys lined up properly. And, you know, we're hearing like Tony Romo saying that he's seeing guys down the field running the wrong routes and, you know, just a general lack of organization on offense. And, you know, one of the things that I felt like we saw several times this year, even including the right up to the last game of the season, the Browns would come out in their first series when everything was all set up and scripted and, and, you know, all the pieces were lined up in place and they marched it right down the field. Happened the first game of the year with against Tennessee and it happened the last game of the year against Cincinnati and their offense looks like a, a steamroller marching it right down the field and scoring a touchdown. And then as soon as the other team make adjustments, all hell breaks loose and the Browns are fighting an uphill battle the rest of the day. I feel like with a more competent coaching staff in place, you, you know, you get something more akin to like what we saw last year. Um, I'm clinging to that. <laughs> I'm hoping that's the case. If it's not, I, yeah, you, you have, you know, for all the reasons you just laid out, it could be a problem. Um, but we'll see. I'm, I'm not saying, yeah. And I'm not saying to, to move on from him already. I'm with you. I hope that a lot of these things can be fixed with coaching and a better, you know, culture and environment, all that stuff. It's just a red flag to me how much he regressed this year. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of, I've heard a lot of people say like, well, you need to get a coach in there that's not buddy buddy with him. Like that was a big mistake. He had too much input in, you know, getting Freddie Kitchens installed as the head coach and you you don't need your friend as the coach. You need somebody who's going to push you. That all might be true. I'm really interested to see also what they do with the backup quarterback position next year because there are going to be guys available who are a lot more competent um veteran type players who, you know, might light a fire under him cuz like nobody uh you know that that was another thing like this year you know credit to him for starting all 16 games but you know there was never any situation where as bad as he played at any point like he was ever in danger of getting hooked because the guy in the bench might be you know uh might provide the browns a better chance to win i i would not be surprised if they bring in somebody who's got a little bit better credentials next year to back him up yeah i mean it's 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 one of those positions where it's hard to really put too much stock into the backup quarterback because if you ever need to rely on him, you're probably fucked anyways. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's probably a good point. I I think he would have benefited a lot from having a guy like um, McCown or someone like that who you know has a little more experience and has, has started a lot at this level or not, ne- not necessarily a lot, but played a lot, right? Has been in a lot of different rooms and, and has a really good feel because for all that we love about Baker and his attitude and stuff like that, he's not exactly the most professional guy. Um, and a lot of that people say, oh, that's who he is, right? That's how, that's where he gets his, his fuel from. Okay, well, get it from somewhere else and be a pro. Like, that's what I want for my quarterback. I don't want a guy who's always looking for a chip and and something to bitch about and blame something someone else on. Um, I want a guy who, ultimately, I want a guy who's going to tell him what he needs to hear because he doesn't really care what Baker Mayfield thinks a guy who's not like just trying to cash a check, right. Who's showing up because this team offered him one and he's going to toe the line and be nice to everybody. Um, I want a guy who's got a little bit of experience and you know, if they cut me, they cut me, whatever. I'm still going to tell you what you need to hear. 
Um, I don't think they've had that. I think including with the coach. Not that they're a perfect parallel, but I mean, just look at what happened with the Titans this year. I mean, they've had Marcus Mariota for what, three, four years now. And he's been spinning his wheels and you remember what we were saying, what we thought of them going into the season. We didn't think much of them and they were not anything particularly special. Um, you know, week one aside, their whole season turn when they brought in freaking Ryan Tannehill to quarterback them the rest of the year. Uh, guys of that caliber, I think, are going to be out there again. Um, so anyway, that's just something that I'm I'm thinking about and I'm wondering. And it just anything that's going, you know, it, it, yeah, like what you're saying, I, I get it. It's not great that, you know, you need this whole like chip on your shoulder thing, but um, <laughs> that's what it takes to get him going again. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll go with it, I guess. I, I don't know. Um, oh, what yeah, else? About ultimately, <laughs> I mean, do you, are there any, so I, regardless of who we think they might be able to get, um, it's stunning how many people I'm hearing saying like, oh, Josh McDaniels. Um, if he was not going to go to Indianapolis, why the hell do we think he'd come here? That's a great question. Because he, cause he what, played at John Carroll or wherever the hell he went? I don't I, think he I, gives a shit about that. No, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. And I'd also need to, if I were sitting across the table from him in an interview, I'd need a real long and detailed explanation of what happened there. Yeah. Cause that to me is a very odd situation and would be. A- yeah, that's, I agree. That's yeah. If you're an organization, you, you need a little more than, than what we've heard in terms of why anyone should actually trust you to lead their team at that point. Right. I'll wrap up the Browns and then we can move on to the Buckeyes, but I want to wrap up with this. The one thing I, I don't have a particular favorite for who they hire as their coach or their general manager or what structure is going to be the best structure. I don't know. And to be honest with you, 95% of the people we follow on Twitter and talk with on Facebook and everywhere else, they don't know either. And to be honest with you, there are multiple things that can work. I just, this is what I want. I just want a system and a setup where everybody's on the same page. And on Sunday afternoons, we look like we know what the hell we're doing. Say what you want about last year. With, with Greg Williams and he's kind of a, a punching bag for other reasons with some of his bluster and uh, you know, some of his quotes and you know, what, what did he say? He turned down 15 executive or, uh, or 15 uh, coaching jobs or whatever and all his silliness. But you know, those games last year, what made them really fun down the stretch was they had an identity. They were, they were locked in. Everybody was on the same page and, and they played well and they played hard. And just everything this year was a disjointed mess. And I just don't embarrass me. Don't, don't make me feel like I can't wear your team sweatshirt when I go to the grocery store. So I can avoid having questions with the cashier when I check out. That's all I'm asking for. It's a low bar at this point, I guess. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And we're at the point where we can't blame, we can't blame the roster anymore. Like we can blame individual players and things like that, but the talent's there to look competent which it hasn't been for a while, so fair enough. Um, but yeah, someone's got to, they need someone who can, 
I'm with you. Just make them a respectable organization that looks looks like a, a real NFL franchise now that the players do. And I thought at this point last year we were there and that we would not be having these conversations again. But uh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. Another January of uh, Brown's fun and uh, headlines for uh, all the wrong reasons. So, oh, dear God. Um, yep. Let's talk about the Ohio State University Buckeyes. I went to bed on Saturday night about 2 a.m. and you were still on Twitter. Uh, I, I, uh, I, how are you feeling? Because I, I, I cheer for Ohio State. I like the Buckeyes. I'm interested in the Buckeyes. But you have a much stronger emotional attachment to that program than I do. And I was feeling extremely bummed out about that game when I went to bat on Saturday night, I can't even imagine uh, what headspace you were in. Um, I was up until probably four, four thirty in the morning. Oh dear. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, we, we obviously talk a lot of every Cleveland team on here. Um, and we throw Ohio state in as well during football season. Um, there's no team that moves the needle for me personally, even close to Ohio state football. Um, so, and I said last time we were on this call that, or on this, uh, on our, on the, I think it was the last time we were on, it might've been a couple before, um, but that I feel like this is the, this was the most complete and arguably the best Ohio state team I've ever seen. Um, and that obviously, so the loss on Saturday stung quite a bit in that respect, um, because the season's over. And it stings additionally because it doesn't, and you know me, I'm the guy that I do. I complain about refs a lot. I think they're not very good at their jobs and I bitch about it when they make bad calls. I don't think I've ever seen, I don't think I've ever seen a game that had more inexplicably, inexplicable call, not more but more significant, inexplicably bad calls than the game on Saturday did. And anyone who's going to say, oh, Ohio State still had, you know, they still had a chance despite, I'm not going to argue the targeting one. I think they err on the side of targeting a lot. Um, it's, 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 they're not always good about it, but they will say, if we think this is remotely close, we're going to call it targeting. Okay. I'm not going to argue it too much. I don't I think they need to change the rule a little bit, but whatever. There is no universe where the fumble on that catch and return for a touchdown should have been overturned. None whatsoever. Um, they say the word indisputable a hundred fucking times on the broadcast, and I hear a hundred near unanimous agreement online that it was a, a catch and a fumble. And if it wasn't a catch and a fumble, it was nowhere near indisputable to change the ruling on the field um so knowing and anyone who says oh they still had their chances after that games like that come down to one or two plays they always do you can't tell me that when your team finally makes a play like they were going back and forth clemson struggled at times ohio state struggled at times it was very up and down game you can't tell me that when you blatantly take seven points off the board in a what turned out to be a six-point game that it doesn't matter. I'm not buying it. I think it's bullshit, and I don't like the fact that um, 
it's some random guy, one random guy sitting in a room in Alabama making the call. Um, it, it's gonna, it's gonna, I'm, I'm still quite angry about it. I don't know that it's gonna stop stinging for quite a while. Um, I, I'm not. I will rarely come on and criticize. I'll rarely criticize to anybody. 18 to 22 year old kids who are playing for the university that I went to. Um, if they drop a ball or they fumble or they make a bad play or whatever the case is, right? Those things happen. It's the things that it's these little things like that, that, that make me far angrier because there's a guy getting paid to do this, who is supposed to be the best in the, in the country at what he does making an inexplicably bad call that I don't think even three weeks, three days, excuse me, three days later, anyone has come out and said, yeah, that was the right call. If, uh, yeah, that, that one in particular, that hurt. And I have been surprised if that was called an incomplete pass on the field and upheld Uh, the fact that it was overturned given the standard of proof or whatever is required to overturn a call by replay. I was flabbergasted. It was, it was for I mean, you. said it. I, and I'm not going to just repeat everything you said. I, I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you on that. I'm glad that you started your thoughts on that game and that team, Ohio state calling back to what you had said before uh, about them being the most complete Ohio state team it, it, that you could remember because, you know, there, there are a couple of big picture things I'm going to take away from that game. And one of them is, you know, so much of college football, it's such a limited sample size. When you think about the number of teams and, uh, you know, the the few games that they are playing in the grand scheme of things. I mean, Clemson, Ohio State, and LSU all put up 13-0 and records this season. and how many games did they have against common opponents? I think LSU and Clemson might have both played Auburn and that might've been it. So like trying to figure out who was the best of those teams, there's so much projecting involved and just trying to like, I think Texas A&M Clemson played A&M early in the season. Okay. Okay. I'm guessing that LSU played them too, but yeah. Yeah, an extremely small number of common opponents. So it's trying to like figure out who's better between these teams and who's legit and who's not. That game, and obviously it ended up playing a huge factor. And as much as everybody feared it might, in terms of like who got the one, two, and three seeds in in the playoff, because you know Oklahoma got its doors blown off in a playoff game yet again. But the flip side of that coin is I don't know that any other team could have been put in that spot and done much better. There were three teams clearly better than everybody. And I guess where I'm going with this is that, you know, we thought Ohio State was incredible going into that game. We thought Clemson was going to be pretty damn great, again, based on what we knew from them in past years. And both of those teams were every bit as awesome as we thought they were. That game was incredible. Those teams beat the hell out of each other. And it sucks for Ohio State that they had to lose that game. They had nothing to be ashamed of coming out of there. Yeah, it hurts losing a 16 and nothing lead. 
but you know, you didn't blow that against some, you know, team. You didn't embarrass yourself out there. You're playing the defending national champs who had won 20 something games in a row and, you know, still had the core of their team intact. And, you know, and you're doing it with a quarterback who was basically running around with a hardware store on his knee. And, you know, you're start running back, getting his ankle wrecked halfway through the game. The fact that Ohio State was able to, like, fall behind and, you know, have that much stuff going against them and still come back and take a lead and still put themselves in position to, to do it again at the end there, it was an incredible effort. And it's just a damn shame that they lost that game, um, given how well I felt like they played. Yeah, I mean, it's it's – I think I look at – I look back to the 2015 team that was obviously loaded, right? Coming off the national championship, pretty much everybody was back. They had loaded at every position, a whole bunch of, you know, highest paid running back and the highest paid receiver in the NFL right now. Um, they're, they're an afterthought. No, no one, they don't put up banners for winning, you know, winning. I mean, they do put up banners for winning, winning the big 10, but, you're just on a, another list, right? They're not right. The team's not going to be remembered the way it deserves to be. Um, and I think that's unfortunate. There's a lot of guys on this. Like, I'll be honest. I don't know that there's been a more underrated player in college football the last three years than JK Dobbins. Um, I was glad that he got a, he finally made a first team all America team. So he will get a, he'll get a tree in the Buckeye Grove, which I think is well-deserved. Um, Chase Young, obviously amazing season, won a ton of stuff. It's going to be one of those teams that you just kind of look back at like, oh, yeah, that was a pretty good year. They're never going to be remembered the way that I think they should have been or they were in line to be. Um, and there's a there's You're a difference between, right. yeah, and there's a difference between walking away from a game you lost saying, oh, yeah, we, you know, we just lost. We didn't, you know, we didn't do what we needed to do. Um but the funny thing is, when it, whenever a team loses, whenever teams lose like a, a one-score game, right? You say, oh, well, if they could have got one more turnover, they could have made one more play. They did. They did make the yeah. play, and they got it taken away from them. Um, I will say, so it, it's, that that hurts, and I'm not disputing that. There were a couple of things that I will say for Ohio State that also cost them in that game. Um, Justin Fields got picked off twice. And he had probably at least two other passes, one of which should have been a pick six from about their own 25 yard line in the first half that were dropped. So yeah. He dodged bullets. Trevor and, Lawrence had one of those. So things. Trevor Lawrence right, had one go right. off a linebacker's hands that, that would have been a, a touchdown too. So, I mean, those, those happen for everybody. Right. There were, there were those and coaching wise, I thought Ryan day had that team ready to play. Um, they, they, they were locked in everything that I said that I want from a Browns coach for next year. Ryan day checked all of those boxes on Saturday night. If the Browns the even think I... about stealing Ryan day from Ohio state, I'm going to lose my <laughs> shit. You know, <laughs> he's too smart for that. He's I'm not, not going to let them ruin that. him. No, no, no. But the one thing I will say I disagreed with was they had the fourth and four. And yeah, that's uh, the one. Clemson's what 39 yard line. Yep. That's the that one. Point, they punted uh, it. Yeah, putting that ball and playing the field position game with three minutes left, I, I, I'm i not feeling it because 
Clemson only needed a field goal to win that game, and they had already had a few pretty big drives, didn't take up a ton of time. And you could move the ball down the field pretty quickly if you want to in college football with all stoppages for first downs. Um, you really could have put the hammer down on Clemson there if you go for that and pick it up. And if you don't get the first down, um, you're not dead in the water. Uh, you know, give yeah, the ball I mean, back. It, that, it, I, I, I can see a, both sides of it. You didn't make many of them, but that was one. I think you can make an argument both sides. I'm not going to – I will say it, it kind of went against what he was saying after the game when he talked about how we wanted to be aggressive and we wanted to be bold and we wanted to you – know, we weren't going to play scared. That was the one call that was playing a little bit scared. Now you can say – no, right. I, I have yeah, a hunch if you – I have a hunch if you he went didn't. and looked at like analytics for it, it might say that it's like a – 52-48 type of call, right? Both sides can be right. Um, where, the way I look at it is you're right. If if they get a field goal, they win the game, right? There's three possible scenarios. One, you get a stop. Two, they drive down and get a touchdown. Three, they drive down and get a field goal. Um, either way, if it's one of those last two, you want more time on the clock. They, they got really lucky that Clemson scored really fast and gave them a right. lot of time to get the ball back. Um, so giving them, you know, making them go an extra 30 yards or so. Yeah, that's, that's, there's, there's an argument to be made there, but I, I think I'm probably with you. If you're going to be bold, try to finish the game right there. Go for it. Right. Otherwise, and, you're, if you're going to rely just, on your defense, rely on them from the 40 instead of, you know, the, the 10 or five or whatever it was. And what you said about him being aggressive, it's right. I mean, this year, you look at the last time that they really faced some adversity, that Wisconsin uh, Big Ten championship game, you know, they were in some trouble early and they needed a spark, and he called that fake punt. I mean, that was a brass balls decision because if that mm -hmm. goes wrong there, they're, they're in a world of trouble, and that turned that whole game around. And then, you know, even in, in the, the Fiesta Bowl, you know, they had the fourth down play where they went for it, and it was like a fourth and a yard and, you know, Fields is throwing the ball all the way down the field into the end zone. Huge call, big, big time, bold mm -hmm. play call there. So, I mean, mm -hmm. he, you know, his MO has been, even though, even the, even the, even the pick at the end, um, you know, he could have checked down to Dobbins probably and picked up the first down, right? but he had the matchup. He had the guy, there was yep. miscommunication obviously. And he, he, uh, Olave came up on his route before he should have. And, um, whatever, you know, that happens, but they were still, they were going for it. They weren't, they weren't trying to dink and dunk. They got some of that. They took it when it was there. And when they saw the right shots, they took those too. Um, yeah, I have zero, oh, I have zero drive. qualms with, uh, oh. it just, they marched the ball right down the field. I mean, that drive was oh. looking great. It was everything you wanted. And, and if Olave that interception the, the sticks to his route, such an abrupt, it was just Ugh. so abrupt. Like it just, you know, you're still 25, 30 yards out. And, and it's like, oh, you know, you're getting 10, 15 yards at a time chunk plays and you go for the home run ball. And it's like interception, it's devastating, not up for debate. No, no, no potential penalty, nothing nope. to review. Nope. That's that. And you don't have enough timeouts to get the ball back ball game. Yep. It was just such an yep. abrupt ending. That was oof. Oof. Yeah, and you want to and speak. You mentioned the, you know the the picks that should have been, that punt down to the four hits a Clemson guy on his ass when there's six Ohio State guys standing there. Yeah, and he somehow turns out turns around and it's like literally right underneath him, like things <laughs> that could have gone Ohio State's way and just didn't. 
And those are yeah. those things I won't complain. You know, those are those are flukes. Those are things that that happen. They're not, you know, they're not totally under anyone's control. It's it's just the way that it goes. I'm I'm never. I'll get over everything about that game eventually. I will never get over overturning that fumble. Never. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was rough. I will tell you uh, one other thought that I said. I, I, there are two big picture things I'm going to take away from that game. One was just you know two phenomenal teams both playing up to their full potential as good as we thought they could be. The other thing, you know, you think back football over the past decade, how much you know we're, we're getting to the end of the tens here, and just how much more we know about injuries than we did at the start of the decade. I just kind of wonder that game, if we're going to look back at that the same way 10 years from now, um, and, and if it's going to be any different than what we think about it in the immediate aftermath now, because there were a couple of things. First of all, those teams beat the shit out of each other. I told my dad yeah. before that game started, I said, I think the winner of that Ohio State Clemson game is going to win the national championship. I think either one of those teams can beat LSU. And Clemson still might. But, like, if I'm LSU, after beating the brakes off of Oklahoma, if I could, like, go back to my hotel room and watch what Ohio State and Clemson did to each other for four hours on Saturday night, I had to love that because oh, yeah. they, they had to yeah. earn that. That was physical. It was rough. How many guys were were just getting pounded out there? Trevor Lawrence took a beating. Um you know, I just, I kind of wonder, games like that, they're awesome in the moment, but, like, man, a couple of, like, who was the receiver for Clemson that got knocked Higgins. out early? Higgins. T. Higgins. Tell you what, if so, that happens to him next year when he's, in, when he's in the NFL, he's not getting his helmet back, and he's not getting back in the game. That's, a th- like, I was kind of wondering, like, they kind of glossed over it. So, like, he was out the entire first half, and then. They took his helmet away when he came out of the tent. They took his helmet away. Right. And then the third quarter, oh, he's just back in the game now. Like no big number deal. one, that's that that's that that would be way too long to like clear somebody if they did not have a concussion, you would right. think. And if he was diagnosed with a concussion, that is obviously way, way too, too soon fast for him to, to get him bringing, back in the game. Bring him back. Yep. So like what happened there? Because that was really weird. And then the other one was Dobbins, you know, he goes oh, down late in the first yeah, half. Yeah, it was that is that tape. They got really good tape ankle, in the Ohio State locker room. Right, right. So he goes down late first half. His ankle is a mess. He go, he gets taken out of the game. They they say they tape up his ankle at halftime. He comes back out first play of the third quarter, goes, goes down, down in a heap without touching anybody, completely away from the play, disappears into the locker room, and he magically comes back out and is able to play and be pretty damn productive for the rest of that game. And all you hear from the sideline, yep, he had his ankle retaped in the locker room and he's good to go. Are you telling me that's all that happened in the locker room? Because I have questions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, on both. It's, it's, it's a weird thing. And it, it sort of raises the question, um, whether colleges need to do the independent evaluator type guys. Right. Um, specifically, I think it probably makes, I don't know that you can do it with things like sprained ankles or whatever the hell Dobby had. Um, but with things like concussions, you probably need that. Um, you can't count on the guy. And I don't know that you can count on the person whose paycheck has Clemson at the top of it. Um, I, I would love to think that, you know, every doctor takes that, you know, 
that Hippocratic oath very seriously, and that's like their primary thought. But um, it's probably it's hard for me to to fully. Th- and it, I don't know that I necessarily blame them for that. It's it's human nature, probably to an extent. But um, probably need to do a little bit of something there to try and avoid things that even even the appearance of that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, that was that was just uh, it was quite a night. But uh, I don't know it's 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 a it's a rough abrupt ending for Ohio State. They had a great season. Um, I agree with you in that uh, they're probably not going to be remembered as as highly as they should be. And I think the 2015 team is a great case study in that. Um, just how quickly they've already kind of fallen by the wayside compared to some of the other past Ohio State teams. Um, but uh, you know, the, they're the going mean, to will... be they're going to be a little. They'll get a little bit more. I think they'll get a little bit more credit. History would be a little bit kinder to them because it wasn't like some some midseason slip up, right? Right. It wasn't like Purdue last year or it was in a playoff Iowa game or Michigan beat. State or Michigan State in '98 or Michigan State in 2015. Like they they won against one of the you know one of the best teams in the country. Played them as straight up as you possibly can. Probably. I'm a homer, obviously, in my opinion, they were the better team. They deserved to win. Um, but um, as Dabo will tell you, apparently Clemson has got on their side and Ohio State does not. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fuck that guy. If I never hear that guy talk again, I'll be too fucking soon. When I hear you say, oh, yeah, God was smiling on us today. Oh, and he doesn't like the guys at Ohio State. Get the fuck out of here, you clown. I hate that guy. What a fucking phony. Uh, I I will just say this. There are three, uh, possibly four, if you think LSU can sustain uh, their program once Joe Burrow's in the NFL next year, uh, programs that have, I think, clearly separated themselves from the rest of Division I in college football, and Ohio State's one of them. Mm-hmm. So for as concerned as I am for the future of the Cleveland Browns, I think the Ohio State University Buckeyes are going to be back again uh, in the mix for years to come. So it's small consolation uh, coming out of Saturday night, I know. And you'd much rather be uh, having us here talking about the championship game this year rather than, you know, the 2020 season. But uh, Ohio State's not going away anytime soon. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at recruiting and Ryan Day picked up exactly where Urban Meyer left off. they are. I mean, they're gonna have to replace a couple assistant coaches and and things like that um, that have left uh, already. But by and large, they can get their guys. Like they'll they'll always be able to fill those spots. It's, um, and the players look every bit as talented. It's just a bummer that guys like you know Chase Young he had this big big build up right, and they did everything they should do. Just came up a little short at the end. Fields is going to have another year. It's always the guys, right, that you're not going to see again. You're like, oh, that, like Dobbins and Chase Young, like those guys deserve a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and they're, you know, the next guys will will try to do it instead. But, and there's guys there, right? We we see it every year. It was Bosa, and then it was the other Bosa, and then it was Chase Young, and it'll probably be Zach Harrison next year. And like that's that's the way Ohio Master State Teague. works. Master Teague, right? I don't know. I don't know about Master Teague. I I I liked him during the season. Um. I thought when Dobbins went out, he and he's not the player Dobbins is yet, right? That's that's fair. No. That's that's understandable. But 
I felt like he didn't. He, there's a couple things that he just doesn't. He wasn't very good at, and he didn't do. So um, it's one game. It's a small sample size. Who knows, right? He might be great. Yeah. Um, He's got a great name. Master Teague the Third is as oh good of a God. college football what name. What a name! Get. What a name! All name team for sure. No um, they're going to be. I mean, they're going to be loaded. You, you already saw Garrett Wilson. Um, what a catch in the first on that first drive. Um, I kind of wish he dropped it um, because on the very next play, Dobbins was going for a touchdown when they blew it dead. Um, I don't know if you noticed that in real time. Ryan Day was pissed when they blew the whistle to review that catch. Um, but he's he's gonna. I'll be honest. Two years from now they'll have a wide receiver core that will be right up there with the best you've ever seen at the college level. Um, they're going to be loaded at wide receiver. Um, it's, it's, yeah, they're, they're the one team that they're not going anywhere. They're fine. They're, they're, they're still loaded. They're still, They've got a, a head coach who looks every bit the real deal. He gets it. He knows what he's doing. He's, there's not going to be any sort of learning curve there. Um, funny what a first-time head coach can do with a bunch of talent. Um, right. Man, what a what a polar opposite thing we have going on here, huh? <laughs> Very Jesus. true. Jeez. Well, you and I might be uh, not quite as loaded as uh, Ohio State, but uh, we're not going anywhere either. I'm uh, looking forward to an interesting 2020. I think we're going to have some uh, some good storylines to uh, to look forward to in this coming year and uh, plenty of stuff to talk about, uh, probably starting with uh, the, the, the latest in a parade of Browns coaches and, and who knows what else. But uh, should be a fun year coming up. How you feeling? I'm good, man. I'm looking forward to it. Um, like I said, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm wiped out, man. That last weekend was fucking exhausting. I can't wait to turn the clock. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Look, it should be a good year. Um, so I guess anyone listening, thanks for riding along with us, I guess, for this year. Um, hopefully we got more of the same coming next year. Absolutely. Sounds good. And, uh, Trav, happy new year to you and the missus. You as well, buddy. Thank you, you and the little Thank one you. and uh, and your lovely wife's on my best, obviously. Will do. And uh, as Trev said, thank you to everybody who's uh, listened to us this year. Hope you uh, stick with us in 2020. You'll be able to, of course, uh, follow along with The Nail on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, the, uh, the TuneIn app, and waitingfornextyear.com. That is going to do it for us. Uh, been a long one but uh good to catch up good to uh cover a lot of ground that we've uh, been missing on the uh, the last few weeks here certainly had plenty to talk about but uh we'll be uh, we'll be getting after it again soon so for travis Uli, i am tom valentino this has been the nail in the coffin and uh, happy new year everybody Pit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on!